Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 261, Flying the Friendly Skies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Um, as promised a couple weeks ago, we're talking about Yukon Airways again. This time, it's myself and the designer, Al Ludok. L- Ludok? Ludok? Hi. Le how Duke. are you? Duke. Ah, of course. <laughs> totally <Duke>. off. <laughs> Dude, that's because I'm not looking on the screen at all. I'm just yeah. mincing it on the on the on the fly, so to speak. Well, you are <laughs> certainly not the first person to uh, uh, to mispronounce it. In fact, I, I I'd bet. say, yeah, Ladakh. It seems to be the more common pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Well, I'm, I'm you know, so be it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Anyway, we we are talking about your game. I had wanted to talk to you because because of the theme of the game, your the rule book it starts with an introduction about the game and what it is, and kind of describes the idea of what a flight might be like. You know, saying like, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm heading to I forget where what city it was. Maybe it was Whitehorse, and Whitehorse I'm almost out of gas, but I'm okay because yeah. I know exactly where I'm at and how far I got to go. And you know, and it's it just sounds really evocative. Oh well, and thank you. Yeah. Did you write that? Uh, yeah, I did. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean... Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe... That absolute first paragraph, I can't remember for sure. I gave them a sort of a little write-up that I hoped ah, that they would okay. put in the front. But I didn't gotcha. know if they would or not. You know, gotcha. Uh, often okay, with then, books, the number of pages is sometimes an issue. But yep. uh, they thought it was then, worthwhile, so... Yeah, I agree. Okay, and so so you wrote it. They may have tweaked it. Who can say? They definitely <laughs> tweaked, like the uh, rules yeah. in the book are different than the rules I gave them. Like they oh, really? rearranged, like they totally rewrote the rule book itself. But I'm ah, pretty okay. sure the stuff in the front, you know, is probably like 98, 95% what I give. Nice. Them. Okay. Gotcha. But the, the whole design process is just fascinating the way like you have this product and you come up with something and you hand it over to somebody else and then. They're going to tweak it for you, which I imagine is stressful and whatnot. But <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it wasn't too bad for me. Okay. Well, for one, these publishers had done a game that me and my co-designer, like, so this mm. was my second game with them. Ah, okay. So I already had some some faith in their ability to not screw gotcha, things up. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, uh, so that would that made it easier and oh, okay, and it's kind of nice. Uh, I'm not, they don't really want much or seek much feedback from us, the designers. They just kind of take it, do their thing, and then sort of punt it back to us. This is what we did. Okay. And what they did is, is always been good so far. I don't know if they're, if I really dislike something, if it would be a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. Like, like, I guess if they came back to you and it was, it was a, a theme about submarines, I mean, but you know, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> that's right. It's yeah. not where I was going with this one, but well, anyway, <laughs> so no, it isn't about submarines. It is about flying around the Yukon territories. Uh, so I guess, first off, what are the Yukon territories and, and what do you call them really? Because I saw different names. I saw the Yukon, the Yukon territories, Yukon. Yeah. Well, we call it the Yukon. Okay. I mean, okay. and, by, and when, when you I say, say we, we, I mean those of us who've lived in the Yukon call it the Yukon. Ah, uh, okay. As gotcha. far as I know, other people also call it that more or less in Canada, but 
I mean, I haven't paid enough attention to what other people call it. I think if mm-hmm. they were calling it something silly, I would have noticed, though. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, so it is the Yukon, and it's a territory which is, for for people in the U.S. who are not familiar with it, it is equivalent to a state, basically. The U.S. state. Yeah, relative. but we have, in Canada, provinces and territories. And as far as I can tell, the real big difference, well, it, it's one, how far north they are. Everything mm-hmm. that's north is a territory, but that could just be a coincidence. I think also it's the way the funding goes. Money okay. goes into territories from the other provinces because mm, they're just okay. so sparsely populated. That... Right. So, yeah, so the, these are way north on the globe. So it's a, it's a cold area. There's not a ton of population. It's wild and rugged and lots of wildlife and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. The whole, actually pretty much all the territories have less population than a small city in the States. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think so. And like all of them. Yeah. It's got to be less than a hundred thousand across all the territories. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that is. And it's a big area. These aren't little yeah. territories, right? These are not like, like Maryland or something. These are big parts of the country. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Far larger than, you know, most European countries, you know, mm, many. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's right. I did see looking into this game, I think I looked at and found a map that compared the the Canadian provinces and territories against different countries in the world, showing you relative size. And it was surprising just how big they are and what things are compared to like one, I don't remember which some province compared to France, for example. You know, that's just a single province and other and other things out there. Um but anyway, so this is a large area. It is sparsely populated so i imagine there there, well, and there aren't or maybe weren't a lot of roads and so transportation was different yeah well um there was only one location on the yukon airways game board map that was actually inaccessible by road okay or, and boat actually it was you could only get there by plane and the okay. other ones had either road or or boat travel was accessible. Gotcha. When when is the game set? What, what time period? Uh nineteen early nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy okay. Yeah, and part of the reason I did that is, you know, is uh it's based on my father's company. So as I was growing up, you know, I was around airplanes a lot. He flew out of Whitehorse when I was little. And then later, mm-hmm. you know, it was Whitehorse in another place. But uh, but okay. early 1970s, he was doing airplanes. Gotcha. Later okay. on into the 80s, he switched over to helicopters. But then when I was trying to think about how to do the game in helicopters, I'm like, that was, I couldn't wrap my head <laughs> around that as effectively as I could with the bush planes. Yeah. And, and, and those bush planes, they're, they're just way more evocative, I think, than say it was a helicopter. Thematically, it just is more interesting, more captivating. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're you're right. It's certainly, uh, bush planes seem a little bit more photographic as well. Mm-hmm. You know, just like the visuals of them is more. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just pretty looking. And more and people the... have exposure to them too. You know. Well, yeah. Are these helicopters traveling the full region of the Yukon territories now? The Yukon, or are they uh, more short range than the planes would have been? 
Oh, the helicopter is definitely shorter range. Well, except that with a helicopter, you can take extra fuel with you, land somewhere and fuel up. Mm, Or what they actually did was you take fuel drums in advance and have fuel drums stashed all over Uh, the place. Okay, instead of some And then you can fly to this point, use when the fuel drums fill up and then carry on further. Okay. How it was done to extend the range of the helicopter. You know, that sounds interesting too for in terms of a game, actually. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> if I was there, originally, I was thinking helicopters, but right, yeah. well, they could the just sequel. go anywhere. <laughs> so it's like, how do you do the map? Because you know, oh, like, okay, yeah. I could go anywhere. It's, it's just, at least with the float planes, there were limitations of where they could land and, and set down and yeah. a place to go. Now, are these planes. Oh, and you know, before before we, well, we've already gotten really far into this. I did kind of mention at the top of the show that this is that we covered the game. Julius and I covered the game two weeks before this. So if you're listening to the podcast and you have no idea what we're talking about, really, go back to episodes uh, two fifty nine and listen to that first, and then come back and pick up where you left off here. I'm sorry I didn't say that before, because this is a discussion about the game that was covered then. Yeah. yeah. Um. So those airplanes. Um. Are they are they restricted to landing on water, or could they land on the on, on airstrips also? Uh, it depends on the float plane. Some float, some sets of floats will have retractable landing gear, but that's oh, a much okay. more expensive part. And gotcha. Okay, the, it is not the norm to have that, and you certainly wouldn't need that in the Yukon because we've got way more lakes to land on than mm, okay. the natural strips, and the strips there are. A lot of them are just dirt, dirt and gravel strips. They're not paved. Gotcha. Okay, and they require some some kind of maintenance and upkeep, I imagine, over time. I'm, I don't know if it's much or not, but the lake you don't have to maintain that. That's <laughs> that's, that's right. Got, that's got water. Not as much. Yeah, yeah. Most of them aren't maintained at all. But, right. Um, okay, but it, but an airstrip potentially once in a while you got to smooth it out or something. If it rut's building it, you might want to clean that up some. That sort of thing. I imagine anyway. That, that's yeah well that's i think the other thing you have is you love a lot of planes with bigger landing gear a bit more rugged and because they're smaller planes they're kind of mm, i mean you sense. can kind of land them in an open field a lot of in theory it's yeah it's, it's not ride. like that yeah it's, it's not like the jets that are only used to landing on nice strips mm-hmm. you know they're bush planes so you know sort of getting rough and dirty is kind of a thing that they tend to do oh okay that, that's that sounds that sounds fun. The um. So now this game is, the game is based around a. You said your father's airline, his business. Right. Can you tell yeah. us about the airline. Yukon Airways was the name of the airline. It's yes. not just where you're at, but it's also the company's name, which is. And this was yeah. your father's company. Yes. Well, it's. I mean, the original Yukon Airways was started in 1927. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually used, I don't know if you know, the, the Spirit of St. Louis, mm-hmm. the, the famous plane that it, I think, was the transatlantic flight, first one, like that. Yep. It, they started with the same type of plane. And in fact, they were going to have that plane, the one that did the big trip. But because of timing and the guy who wanted to do that, they sort of shuffled things around and they sort of got the next one on the line instead oh, okay. of that one. So. You know, so the uh, the Queen on the Yukon and the Spirit of St. Louis were sort of, you know, 
like sister planes. Oh, okay, yeah. Weird quirk. <laughs> Just about twins, yeah. So I, I know yeah. the the spirit of St. Louis was modified. So I guess they, they took it off the assembly line. They they were going to take one frame, they ended up taking the other one, and and then had to apply the modifications on top of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow, okay. So. And that that is that's pretty neat. And so this was in 1929, and somebody else was not a relative of yours, I guess. No, okay. no, just uh, uh, there was two guys. One of them was a like a I think a retired RCMP guy, and I forget what the other guy did. But they sort of you know started this company together, went down, got the plane, brought it up, and originally they were thinking they were using it for mail service. It was sort of mm. the primary purpose of you know because yep. Because uh, otherwise, it was a dog sled in the winter, and and you know, wow. yeah, you, you wouldn't get mail often that way. No, no, it was, uh, yeah, and, and it, there was no roads going to most of the places back okay. then, so right. it's either slow overland canoe and portage, and dog sled. Wow. Okay. And you said this was in the the mid nineteen twenties, nineteen twenty seven. It started. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Twenty seven. Okay. Um, and then I guess these two guys had the company for a while and maybe went through other hands and eventually your dad bought it. That's where it gets murky. I sort of <laughs> looked into a bit and they really only apparently went bankrupt after a couple of years oh, okay. and a couple of plane crashes. Oh. So they lost the plane, replaced the plane, <laughs> lost that plane. And then. Gotcha. You know, okay. And then the company folded and then I haven't been able to sort of pick up much information sort of from there. And it's, and I'm also not really sure if my, if it was Yukon Airways and my father bought it or if he started it with his partner and mm -hmm. called their first company Yukon Airways. After the other company maybe or something. Yeah. Or coincidentally I, even. Okay. Yeah, What's it's, I mean, who knows? That's so interesting because when you start going back in time, it's just hard to find those kind that kind of information, those kind of records. You know, I looked online, you know, to see what I could find. There's just about nothing. <laughs> I found yeah. a website that has pictures of a replica of the original plane. It's in a museum. Maybe you yes, shared that with me. Yes, that's the the, uh, the transportation museum in Whitehorse. Okay, and that is where I found most of the information. But okay. Again, it's pretty murky. Yeah, <laughs> There's only so much. Well, that's—I mean—that's kind of neat too, though, because because it's so murky and vague, you could just make up all sorts of cool stories about it, and that's yeah. kind of fun too, you know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. At least I know that there was a Yukon Airways. Yes, flying bush plane <laughs> out of White Horse in the time that I set the game. <laughs> so that part. <laughs> Oh, that's still, still that's super neat. That really is interesting. Okay, and so your your dad owned and he operated and he flew also. Then it was a, was it like a yeah. one man shop kind of thing or two man shop? Yes, it was a at various stages, various number of men involved. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, because eventually his partner left, and he also had pilots working for him. And the exact timing on certain things, I don't know. But my father was sort of the one current. There's sort of, you know, from the 70s, uh, I guess, into the early 90s. Into, okay. So that's quite a while. Yeah. And so he was flying himself and then also managing the business. Imagine over time, maybe he flew less. He was whatnot. also the uh, the main mechanic. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That... So he did everything. <laughs> so, okay. 
yeah, I mean, eventually he had to spend less time flying and more time mechanicking. Yeah, because that happens, especially and as, as the fleet gets bigger. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, they even did uh, pilot training, sort of like it was, it was also a flying school. Oh, wow. In the very early days. And, and it all been beside uh, a white horse. And so at yeah. this point, are is it still, if, if I were to go to the Yukon, would it still be the same? Like if I want to fly around, I, I can't go like an American Airlines or some big national airline or something. No, I, you you can take Air North, you know, okay. with a 727, you know, proper jet into Whitehorse you mm -hmm. know, so that they fly from, you know, some of the major cities like Vancouver and Calgary, Edmonton, somewhere okay. there and Ottawa, even they do a flight. I think they're just starting to fly out of Toronto. Ah, okay. And and so Whitehorse is at the southern end of the Yukon. I remember seeing that. That's on the pretty south. Yeah. yeah. For the Yukon, it's pretty south. Yeah. Yeah. So it is the one big city. And by mm -hmm. big, I mean 30,000. Okay. Then that's not, yeah. I live in a small city and that's even bigger than that one. Is. Yeah. So wow. Okay. Oh, um, and yeah. so then you get there um, through that airline. And now if I want to travel from there somewhere else, do I now yeah. have to charter a smaller? Pretty much, yes. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's still, uh, you know, the Swaka, Swaka Lake has the float plane, float, float <laughs> plane, plane base, or seaplane as everyone else seems to call them. Mm -hmm. And so you, yeah, and from there, there are multiple little, you know, smaller airlines. Well, you know, mm -hmm. to call these little outfits and airlines, Seems a little grandose, but, <laughs> you know. So if I so if I were wanting to travel up to to the Yukon and explore that area, I would be very much doing things on my own. I'd I'd it'd be relatively easy to get there, and then once I'm there, getting around from one place to another and figuring out you know how to get there and what to do there would would be pretty. I don't know about challenging, uh, but it would require effort. I guess it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of sort of uh, outfitters. Is mm -hmm. sort of the sort of the go-between companies that, well, I don't know how much they do in regard to tourism, but if you're doing a hunting, a mining, a, you know, an expedition of some kind, you use an outfitter, and they find all the supplies, they source the supplies, they source the transportation, they make sure everything sort of lines up, find the guide, because you know probably if you're going in the bush, you, you need all these things, you know, the bear spray and the bears, you know, all these things are are uh, packed and and safe for travel. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's, would never occur to me. Uh, it sounds like it's, it's just a really rugged area. It's still just, just very wild. It is. Um, yeah. It surprises there's... me. Not, not being Canadian and knowing a whole lot about Canada, other than really the big cities, it surprises me that there's areas that large that are that wild. Cause I think yeah, even well, in the U S I could travel and it's relatively easy. I could drive anywhere, honestly. True. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's the Yukon is right beside Alaska. Mm -hmm. yep. So if you're sort of picturing the wild parts of Alaska, then you're in the right track. Alaska actually has way more population than really okay. than the Yukon does. I suspect it's because there's lots of oil there. Oh, uh, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, that attracts business. Yep. Yeah. And so you said in the Yukon, most of the... Uh... Most of the people up there would be traveling up there for business. It sounds like maybe, I don't know, mining or whatever industries are up there. Or you said uh, hunting is also popular. Tourism is actually a really, you know, 
is a pretty big business. Okay. And government and tourism are currently the two biggest sort of, you know, things are going on. Okay. Mining is probably a fairly distant third. Gotcha. Okay. And, and so it used to be much more prevalent. Right. Okay. And so, so still today that's these planes or helicopters are still the main way to get around. I assume the planes are just more modern than the ones your dad was flying and whatnot. That is not really a correct assumption. Really? <laughs> You'd be surprised how old planes are. Huh? Like compared to cars, planes, they just keep them going, you know, cause uh, uh, you wow, may not okay. know this, but parts have a time period and they're all tracked on an aircraft. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, this strut is good for, you know, 10,000 hours. And another thing is going to be good, you know, you know, for, actually, I'm making up the numbers. I don't know what they right. actually are. I mean, it depends on the part, but they're all tracked by the number of hours of, of flight. So they just keep changing things so they can keep them sort of, you know, airworthy and yep and legally good on the books by constantly changing over the parts and since aircraft are expensive and developing new aircraft is expensive keeping the old ones going is yeah yeah okay. they don't go on the roads they actually get a lot less stress than cars do they don't they don't have to worry about salt hitting things mm -hmm. you know that is often yeah. far less things than cars do <laughs> okay and so it's a lot worse if they do <laughs> <laughs> yeah in that case, then, yeah, that, that's a problem. I actually know a tiniest bit about that because in my previous job, I uh, I developed an application for uh, for um, m managing gas turbine reliability and wow. tracking the, to some extent, tracking the, the life of those parts and stuff, trying to figure out, you know, how often do we need to replace the parts to make it financially worthwhile to run it and that kind of thing. So yeah, so I, that that is interesting. You you want to change all these parts, if um, and you're keeping track of how old they are because if they get too old, they're just more likely to break down, and the the things that come up tend to be more catastrophic and, and are harder or more expensive to fix. So you want to change them more often, but if you change yeah. them too often, then it's expensive. And yes. so it's, there's a nice balance in there you got to figure out. Yeah, and, and certainly the cost of losing a plane compared to maintaining it. You know, is a lot higher. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, with cars, we have an idea. We have a tendency to just sort of run them into the ground, unless it's like a classic and someone's making the effort to keep it going. Yep, and that's a lot. Of and effort. then it's also valuable. But yes, uh, aircraft <laughs> tend to fall into that car. <laughs> and and a lot of that is also just because I, I guess because the air industry is seems to be more concerned about safety than the yeah. auto industry, which is there's less driving they're less flying than driving so it's kind of surprising but whatever that's neither here nor there because we're not driving around the yukon we're flying around and so yukon airways is still around today i think you'd mentioned that before to me somewhere in some form yes it yeah it was sold and i believe it is i haven't heard that it's not that being said you know my google search for it has not come up with anything mm -hmm. but on the other hand i wouldn't necessarily expect you know, a little small outfit. It's probably one or two helicopters out of a place called Dee's Lake, which is small in the middle of, wow, okay. you know, northern BC. Hardly anyone's heard of it. So they're not going to have a they big may may not, website. <laughs> no. They may. So it's, I, it's not conclusive. Right. Okay. 
so, so interesting. So it's still either way. It's interesting that it, it may have been around as far as you know, it's around for a while though. Um, yeah. Flying helicopters. Like you said. Okay. Yeah. It's, I imagined at least probably into the two thousands. I mean, unless the guy sold it and someone changed the name is the most likely case. Mm-hmm. Because there's space for the business to be there. You know, there was all the infrastructure for it and the equipment, which is the expensive part. Got you up. And so it's easy to, to just sell it to somebody else who's interested in trying it out. That makes sense. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, uh, I know I was going to ask you something else. Okay, so, I mean, it sounds like from what you've told me and from what I read in the rule book that it, it was a very small charter service. So people were, it wasn't like, like regular mail servers necessarily where, where they have set routes they do every time. They kind of waited for people to come along and say, hey, I need to, to take this flight for this thing. Can you help me out? Yeah, that's right. They wouldn't typically uh, have a schedule. Okay. You know, so they, you have little outlets they do, they'll do a sched where, you know, every day, you know, once a day they'll go to Dawson or once every three days. You know, mm, toward the okay. bigger, more common places like Dawson City, which so they will would... be regular. But most, a lot of the, the smaller outfits, it's just sort of on a contract basis. So it's someone just says, hey, you know, this is where I want to go. I'm like, okay, this is the dime. This is the day. We'll just do that. And it's, it's a one-off. Well, I mean, it's almost always a two-off. It's also a pickup. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a, a taxi service, basically. You know, you, you're going to call, hail the cab, say, hey, I need to go here at this point, from this place to this place. Yeah. I mean, you do it a few days in advance, at least, but yeah. Well, yeah. And then because of the weather, you have flexibility on whether you're actually leaving that day. Or not. Did you, did you fly with your dad much when you were growing up, when you were living there? Um, Sounds like you were really young. Yeah. Well, more or less. I mean, I, we would fly, uh like riding on cargo in the back. I remember being sitting on a duffel bag <laughs> with a seatbelt over my lap. And, oh, wow. Okay. And how old were and, you and there at that, that point? Plane. Yeah. How old were you at that point? Well, it was a matter of when I got old enough to sit in the front seat and if no one else was there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even remember my dad having seats for the back of his plane, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, I mean, so, I'm sure he did, but... <laughs> yeah. But I imagine a lot of time if what you're doing is carrying cargo, you're going to want to take those seats yeah. out sometimes. And yeah, exactly. Or you put one seat in, you know, the seats <laughs> in the back. Yeah. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know why he wouldn't put a seat down in there for me. Why, <laughs> why did he just buckle me onto <laughs> onto a duffel bag? <laughs> well, you know, so not exactly the same, but I um, I was, I guess, 17 or 18 at the time. And, I, and um, my dad had a Jeep that he had bought used from somebody. It was an old mailman Jeep, so the steering wheel was on the opposite side. Oh, and wow. and I traded him for whatever car I was driving at the time because he didn't care. And it was a really fun car. I lived in South Florida, so you know I'm cruising Miami Beach, and I'm driving there right next to the sidewalk, checking out people walking. It's a blast. Uh, it, was a, it was a beat-up-looking car, though. And it, whoever had owned it before my dad had chopped off the roof completely. So it was open, oh, yeah. Yeah. which is yeah. great. It was awesome yeah. driving. Like that. I had no doors, a lot of fun. The problem was... <laughs> When it rains, and it rains a lot in Miami. Oh. It rains a lot. Very heavy rains too, right? So you, I would get soaked. And I'd come home, and I'm just drenched. And my dad would say, hey, you got to get a roof for that car. Don't you? You know, you got to buy some sort of canvas or something. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to it. You know, 
I didn't care too much. And and every time I get home soaked, he would tell me the same thing. And one day, I was born in Cuba. My grandmother was visiting from Cuba. Not one day, but she was there probably for about three months. And one day I get home and she sees me walk in soaking wet. She's, hey, why don't you use that roof? The one your dad has in the back? The one that came with a car? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what in the world are you telling me? And I asked him this. He says, uh, Wela says you got a, a, a canvas roof for the car. Is that true? He says, yeah. Why? You want it? <laughs> <laughs> it made absolutely no sense why he did that. So, I mean, who knows what goes to dad's mind? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, okay. So, so you're flying around and you're pretty young. Sounds like you're probably still a little kid when this was happening, which sounds oh, yeah. like it'd be really I, fun. Yes. He'd, sometimes it wouldn't, if it was just the two of us. You know, we'd prop something up, and so I could sit on a on a thing. I'd get to sit in the front, and as I said, it was he'd used it for teaching, so it had you know dualies. There was there was oh, a control okay. stick on both sides. Um, that might be why he didn't want you up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's so amazing. I mean, he would let me. You know, I, I would fly as I couldn't see where I was going because I co- still couldn't see over the dash. But you know, <laughs> oh, wow, I neat. mean, I knew how the instruments worked and stuff. You mostly just need to watch the here and there's nothing else to hit and so he's he's letting you steer it you're up there and he's he's got his hand on the other controls so well he, everything's fine that's neat i mean he was close enough that he could reach those something yes. you didn't actually need to hang on to them well i mean probably did at first but right it's mostly just to hold it steady yeah <laughs> so. yeah once you can hold it steady then it's fine i guess yeah i imagine it yeah. is stressful the first time you know whether whether it's a young kid or just a new person in training Yes. Yeah. So wow. Uh, um. So one one last question, and it's kind of a dumb one. Um, my only experience with the theme of this game is from Disney afternoon cartoons. I used to watch something called Tailspin, which had some bears, and they had a charter plane, and they would fly around taking odd jobs and going on adventures, and sometimes rescuing magical idols and whatnot. And it was it was very adventurous, very rugged. Kind of a see your pants, but it was also this afternoon, so it was cute and fun and whatnot. This is what I imagine it was like. Is are you familiar with that show? Is this a fair representation of it? I'm not familiar with the show, but you described what it, what I think it was like. Yeah. Okay. I'm and not so, sure. I mean, there mm-hmm. were some adventures for sure, and a lot of his best adventure stories involved bears. But... Okay. <laughs> well, these bears were the pilots. Bears and cats. <laughs> oh, okay. Big, and you mean big cats? No, no I, I mean house cats. cats. You know, people oh, want to take okay. a house cat somewhere in the plane. The the, the cats super do not like. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And I, I guess these are people that want to take the cat with them and then bring it back the next day or something. Not not you're not talking about necessarily just moving to some place. No, I, I think mostly moving because so, also moving? you. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, you still can't. There's a lot of places that are just difficult to access, you know, mm-hmm. particularly back then by other ways than than by plane. So if you're going there for the summer, like a summer, like, well, actually, a lot of the places have a much higher summer population than winter population. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So people fly in, the, you know, at the beginning of the summer, then they fly out at the end of the summer. So that's when they would take a cat gotcha. with them. Ah, I see. Okay. So they'll bring the cat up, spend three or four months, however much time it is, and then bring the cat back home yeah. with them. Yeah. <laughs> the poor kitty. Yes. My cats would hate that. My cat my cat gets uh, freaked out when somebody comes to visit and he won't leave the house. I cannot imagine him in a plane. Yeah. Yeah. Of any kind. 
<laughs> yeah, well, as it turns out, the same thing with dogs. The trick is to not let them look out the window. Oh. It's just the noise <laughs> and the vibration that's bad. But that perspective of how far down the ground is, that's what really Gosh. freaks them out. I, okay, I can imagine that, yeah. That's funny. As long as you're inside, because you don't necessarily have a sense of where you're at. Exactly. Wow. You know, they've all driven well, in cars and stuff. And that was fine. <laughs> it's just like a noisier car. Yeah. Yeah. Can I stick my head out the window, please? <laughs> Probably not in an airplane. Well, very thank you, thank you for entertaining me and uh, and and letting me ask you all these uh, crazy random questions about not even so much about your game, but about the flying around in the Yukon and whatnot. Yeah, because I think it adds a lot to the theme of the game and and kind of having a sense of what this is like. I think just makes the game that much more interesting. And you know, you had that flavor text at the beginning, and I think that just heightens the fun in the game. And I think knowing the stories behind, I think might even make it that much more fun for people. Well, I think so. Hopefully. I'll just uh, mention two of the spots that I get asked about the most, you know, on, on mm -hmm. the map is Cinnamon Strip is one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's named that because it's, it's actually fairly close to the highway and there's boat access there. But there's also a lodge that does these cinnamon buns the size of your head. <laughs> oh, wow. So Cinnamon Strip, they'd land in, pick up a Cinnamon Strip and then carry on to where they're going. If they didn't need to have fuel or anything. It was just oh. a good so place. So a lot of people would just make a quick stop. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Quick stop, get some cinnamon syrups, some buns, um, maybe stretch your legs and then get back yeah, on have the Have a meal. The it was a good lodge. They made everything it was just ginormous size. It was nice. Okay. And so that's cool. And so it's not a town, it, it's on the map, but it, it is, and I guess it is a destination for some people, but it's, it's really just, it's a lodge like that just happens to have a runway. Gotcha. You know, it, I mean, it's a dirt runway. There's not that many. Gotcha. It was about the equivalent for many people of, say, a, a gas station on the highway. Yes. You're going to stop, take a break, a rest up, and then keep yes, going. Yes, exactly. But since wow, okay. everything is so sparsely populated, you know. Yeah, everything's just having, <laughs> yeah, Just having a lodge is, is enough for a place to, well, to get on the map. You know? Gotcha. Okay. And then the other place, I imagine, is the taco. Yes, the taco, taco bar. bar. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's one I've... I made me laugh. I, I'm sure you'd made that up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did a a family rafting trip in the Yukon, uh, I don't know, like 10 years ago. And that is somewhere that we landed. And I hadn't heard of it until that time. Okay. But what it is, is it's a big sandbar where two rivers meet. Mm -hmm. And it's just a big enough place for float planes to land. Which, mm -hmm. you know, most of the rivers are kind of windy. So there's only so many, it's lakes are the more common spots, but again, they have to be big enough or a good long stretch of river. So this was a spot. So the bar part relates to the sandbar where you can, you know, sort of land and tie a plane up to. And apparently they just had tacos there once that were really memorable. <laughs> they named it after. That's the neat thing about a place like this that, that is so remote and, and sparse and whatnot. Well, it's not remote if you live there, but that's so sparse is that there's many, many things waiting to be named. Yeah. As far as I, that is the only spot on my Yukon Airways map that's probably only on that map or actual bush plane maps where uh -huh. they write it, you know, in pen. Like it's, it's not an actual oh, recognized place. Right. I can't Google it and, and find it. No, exactly. I mean, pilots will know where it is and, and uh, people planning trips and stuff, you know, but I just will know where it is because that's the place where you can pick people up. God, it even used to have... But there's nothing else there. Well, there was an outhouse, right? but it got washed down the oh. river. It was in disrepair <laughs> when I was there, but that was the one structure it had. Well, yeah. 
an outhouse. Wow, okay. So this really is in the middle. What What is the name of the river? If I want to try and find it on Google Earth. Or uh, I think it was Tachishin. Oh, know? and Wind. It was the Wind River. Wind River. Okay. I can't remember what the other one was, though. Okay. And yes, yeah, so you said it's two rivers meeting. So it might, in theory, it might be easy enough to find an, on Google Earth if I've got a, some time to kill. Yes. <laughs> might be fun. Yes. Yeah, because it's okay. probably... Yeah, it's still... Well, particularly if you use the Yukon Airways map to get the rough idea of it and follow the Wind River until it hits another big river at that spot, that would be it. And there you are. Yeah, You're exactly. at the Taco Bar. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very cool. Okay, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. No, it's been fun. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.